Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Just the Good Stuff. This is your host, Rachel Mansfield. We are joined today by the extremely informative, intelligent, hormone powerhouse, Dr. Jolene Brighton. This episode is loaded with so much information that you'd never know. It is actually the second time that Dr. Brighton is here on the podcast. She's in episode 29, where we chat all about purse birth control syndrome, getting your period back, and all things female hormones, if you can believe it. So definitely listen back if you haven't downloaded that one yet. It's truly one of my favorites and one of the most downloaded episodes of Just a Good Stuff. In this episode, though, we are chatting about what is normal. And this is inspired by her new book that just came out, which is also called What is Normal. This book is 100% going to be one of those books you continue to reference and you're going to want to leave it next to your bedside. You must, must buy it. I'm linking to it in the show notes so you can definitely check it out. We had the honor of reviewing it when it was on like its digital version before it came out. And I am shook over how much info is packed into this book. But in this episode, we dive into a variety of topics about the female anatomy, what is normal, what is abnormal, how to have these conversations about our bodies with our children, and why it's so important to normalize this conversation with them. Tips on having sex postpartum, mom and dad and my in-laws, I don't know if you're going to hear this, but please do not listen to this episode. The orgasm gap and so much more. Do you like how I subtly just told my family members not to listen to this? This episode is loaded and I cannot recommend enough to share it with your friends, partners, etc. Just probably not your family so that they can listen as well. I cannot wait to hear what you think of this episode. Let Dr. Brighton know and myself when you're listening and any questions or thoughts that you may have. And as always, if you have a hot second to rate and review the podcast, that would be so incredibly appreciated. Now let's dive into today's episode. I am over the top excited to share today's podcast sponsor with you because it is something I consume every single day and I recommend it to so many of my friends. Today's episode is brought to you by Element. Element is an electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't need, like sugar, which is in so many of these electrolyte mixes. Element contains science-backed electrolyte ratio, which is why it really works. It has 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and a 60 milligrams of magnesium. You know my obsession with magnesium. There's no junk, no sugar, no coloring, no artificial anything like so many of these other electrolyte mixes out there. I started drinking this while I was pregnant for hydration and Jordan also got hooked on it too. Now I have it daily for nursing and I swear by it. My personal favorite flavors are the watermelon, which tastes like a Jolly Rancher, orange, and the citrus. But you can't go wrong with really any. It's totally risk-free to try it. And if you don't like it, you could share it with a friend and they'll give you your money back. No questions asked. Plus, anyone listening to this can get a free sample pack with your purchase with my link. DrinkLMNT.com slash Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L. This is a great way for you to try all the flavors and it comes with one of each. So you can try everything and see what your favorites are too. They also have an unflavored one if flavored beverages aren't your thing. This offer is exclusive for my community, so you won't find this available anywhere else. Let me know if you try it and what your favorite flavors are. And again, the link is drink, D-R-I-N-K, element, L-M-N-T dot com slash Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L. And I'm linking to everything in the show notes too, to make it even easier. Dr. Jolene Brighton, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Your episode, I think it was two or three years ago, is like one of our most popular episodes. I know you weren't involved in the podcast that way. I was not so on the podcast. This is my you husband, Jordan. It was just us. <laughs> it was just us. We, you know, we, we killed it. Very popular episode. My community loves you for obvious reasons. You are so knowledgeable about 
anything and everything, especially from the female hormone space. And your new book, first of all, is like the best title in the world. Is this normal? Because how many times does somebody say, well, like, is that normal? Like, should this Mm -hmm. be happening? And I cannot wait to like, we were reading the digital version, but I can't wait to like get my hands on it and keep it next to my bed. So every time I'm Googling something, I could just open your book instead. Also, like as I was prepping for this interview, I found myself like hours into the book and I'm like, oh my God, like I was just going to like kind of skim through and and read all the parts, but like I was so invested into it as well. So, I mean, I learned a lot and uh, so excited to hear it from you. Well, as an author, I can never be mad hearing that. Like I, I love that. I try to write in a way that is entertaining and engaging. And, um, I hope I'm always like, I hope this lands. I hope people are actually interested to keep reading because I think that there are amazing, amazing books out there, but I unfortunately can't get through them. And I'm like, I want to, I want to come in and be and like, spice it up, like add a little spice here so that we get like that. I can keep engaged. And I often imagine in my own mind that I am not the only person who struggles to stay engaged reading like blocks of paragraphs. It's this news fest. I've had the same two books sitting on my bedside since September and I've I'm halfway through one of the two books. Like it's I'm unless it's like engaging and like you said, spicy, I get so bored. Even like sometimes I love you, Jordan, but sometimes when he's talking, I'm like, you're losing me. You're losing me. Keep me engaged. How are you gonna keep me engaged in this combo? Like, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> hey, let me something. ask you guys. I'm curious. I always ask like couples this, but so when my husband's talking to me, I'm someone like I have to know where we're going because if I don't know what the end goal is. Like I'm the whole time I'm like trying to put stuff together, but I just feel like I'm just like bumping into stuff in the dark. Are you guys like similar where you're like, can you just like tell me, give me just the good stuff, right? Give me the good stuff. And then let's have this like longer conversation so I can understand why we're taking the windy road. Yes. That's why I tell him you're losing me. Like what is, or I'm like, I, I'm so how did this talker. end? Like how, how, like what is the objective here? And then like, give me the details. But, like I need to know, like, what is the point of this story? And like, what am I going to be learning? What is the takeaway from this? And then you can go into the details and his mom's the same way. I'm like, Alyssa, I can't like, like you're I, losing me. I've learned when I call her on the phone, I literally need to, it, it, within the first three seconds, she needs to know exactly what I'm calling. It's not like, Hey, how are you? It's just like question, answer, hang up. That's it. Um, yeah. where I like, I have way more of like details and oriented. So that's how my husband is too. And he's like, this is how I arrived here. So therefore you have to go on the same journey as me. Yeah. My poor brain is no. like, can we like, can we get to the good part? And then I'll listen to all of this. But if I don't know what we're doing here, I I can't stay with you. Especially like when I you have a toddler running around and I'm like, that's all I can think about is like, what is he doing right now? And I'm trying to listen to you. Like, there's just, there's so much going on. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's in the TV show. Like if I'm not engaged, it's off next, you know? Yeah. So I guess that is normal. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We have a five minute rule with TV shows in our our house that we'll we'll try anything for five minutes. And if in five minutes we're not feeling it, like we just like we're out. And I feel like there's so many ways in my life that I'm like, I should just apply that more. Like the five minute rule, like we've got five minutes, like, are we in or are we out? Yeah, especially with kids. So yeah, but we don't I have th- time to waste. I think now with like Instagram and TikTok, it's even quicker. Like where when we edit reels for food, it's like within the first three seconds, if it's not interesting, people are just going to move on to the Three next. seconds, the first one second, like the first one second clip of that food or recipe reel needs to like literally make you salivate. Otherwise, no one wants yeah. to keep watching. But like it's just like the mind has just changed in that way. It's just pretty interesting. 
It is really interesting, especially um, for people who don't make content. I, I don't know if they're even aware of it, but when you go look at your analytics and it'll say like they drop off at like two seconds and you're like, how did you even in two seconds make like your thumb moves that fast? Like it I know. just it's mind blowing. But your recipe is like never miss. I commented on your Instagram that I don't even mess around. Like you come out with a recipe and I just put it in Pinterest immediately. I'm like, it's, oh my God, it's gonna be you. great. Like just file it away. Um, because yes, though they are always that's so sweet. Thank you so much. If you like Mondel bread or if you're interested in trying Mondel bread, I just shared my favorite recipe ever that it's now kosher for Passover. Mondel bread is like a Jewish biscotti. It's like a twice baked cooking. It's Ooh. the best thing in the entire world. And what? I'm so excited to show. Oh, it's phenomenal. Anyways, yeah. I just shared that about five minutes before we hopped on and I cannot wait for everyone to hopefully enjoy it as much as we yeah. do. Yeah. Make it and watch Ted Lasso. Every time he like, I don't know if you've seen it, but he brings her these oh, little biscuits. The, I'm like, yeah. I don't even know what these biscuits are, but it just makes me want to eat anything like biscotti, like little tiny, like mm, delicious. So I'm like, yes, this sounds great. So tell us about your new book. What was the point of writing this? And like what motivated you to do so? Uh, the sheer number of questions that I receive from readers, from my Ask Dr. Brayton on Instagram. Um, so people writing in from drbrayton.com and patients and just realizing that there's so much we don't know about our body and is being gatekept in a lot of ways that really should have just been the knowledge that we were given from day one. And it results in a, a a lot of self-shame, body image issues, and wondering like, am I just inherently broken and struggling to get help and support? And so I really set out to write the book like, and answer all of these questions. So there's the Ask Dr. Brighton section like in every single chapter. And these are the real life questions that I'm asked about these things. So those are in there. But I also took the just the standpoint of like, when I was going through these things, like what, what is it that like, I also wish existed because I mean, there's books out there about coming of age. And I honestly don't think they're incredibly helpful because they don't get to the point of what I actually need. Like the, the whole preface of this conversation. And I mean, even in this book, like I do tell some stories because my editor's like, you need stories in here. But I'm like, honestly, let's just like cut it. Let's just like get in and get out with that information. <laughs> so that's really what inspired me. And everything in the book is inspired by what, the people in my community have brought me. So really, they ultimately shaped and crafted the exact book they wanted. Well, that's why it's going to be such a hit because you're listening to your community and you're giving them what they want, which is to make sure that they are not, you know, dying tomorrow and everything in their body is okay because, you know, most women and men are like hypochondriacs and Googling everything, trying to say like what, what is normal and what is okay and why they need to call a doctor or not call a doctor. Yeah. Yes, and you can end up, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, you can end up on some strange places on the internet too. <laughs> I was going to say, if you start Googling and it starts like adding in, like, is this normal at the end? Then like, like they already know that people are looking for that type of stuff. But what are some of the things that you would want to debunk about like female anatomy? Mm, the idea that everything is symmetrical, uniform in color, and that everything should look the same. Uh, it's really astounding to me. Uh, in doing the, this research for this book, I needed to go to the places of like, where are people getting this information? Because sometimes I just didn't understand. Why is it that people think 
that the vulva should have labia minora that reside inside and never like peekaboo outside? Why do people think that skin lightening is necessary down there? Why is it that we, you know, we don't understand like the basic anatomy? So there's actually like three diagrams of the clitoris in this book that I commissioned an artist to draw. You are getting better anatomical representation in is this normal of clitoral anatomy than most medical textbooks are providing these days. And I felt really passionate about that. And I wasn't going to wait for medicine to catch up. I'm like, let's just give the people what they need, what they want. So that is one of the biggest things that I think we've got confusion is like, how does it look down there? So the whole chapter talking about this and like, what's the, you know, what is the vagina? It's the inside, but so many people just use that to describe everything. And so to understand uh, that one, there are lots of varieties of vulvas and they're all normal and you can go, there's databases out there. I list some in the book, a different place where you can go and look and see, like there's these differences when it comes to the pigmentation down there also normal. So the genitals are highly concentrated with melanocytes. Melanocytes produce melanin. They're the reason why like skin gets dark exposed to sun, but they also respond to estrogen. And so when we have surges of estrogen in our life, so when we go through puberty, uh, when we get pregnant, even, you know, as things change in the perimenopause, menopause arena, that tissue can become darker and change in appearance. And that is very normal. It also is not like you find in medical textbooks. Medical textbooks are like, it's uniform in color. No, it's not. Sometimes it's splotchy. Sometimes you've got like, this is kind of like maroon and this is like brown. And like, you've got all of these variations going on in the same area on the same body. And that is also normal. But I do highlight when things are not normal and when to see a doctor in the book, because sometimes, you know, scary things do happen down there. Well, even no one ever sat down and like said, Rachel, this is your vagina. These are all the different parts of it. Like no one has ever done that. Like mm-hmm. what I like, unless you're in med school or like something that has to do with healthcare in that space or whatever, a pelvic floor therapist, you're not learning about that. Yeah. You're not talking about it. It's almost like, be your own job to like look into that yourself but like when you're in health class like they're not or like you know there's no anatomy class that everyone's taking and it's confusing and i think by the time that you're an adult you're almost like shameful that you don't know that Mm -hmm. part of your body so if someone is you know however old they are and they're like i don't even know like what you just said dr Wright, and like what what like where do you begin Yeah. Well, you can begin with, is this normal? And it doesn't (laughs) matter what age you are. I have heard, you know, I mean, I have heard from women in their sixties and seventies after I explained how the menstrual cycle works. And they're like, I never had any idea. I don't even have a menstrual cycle anymore. And I had no idea how this worked. Like, and I never knew. And they, they do feel a sense of shame about it. And then I have to remind them that like, I had to go to medical school to get this information. That's ridiculous. You shouldn't have to go to medical school to understand the body that you live in. And I think it is equally ridiculous that we see legislators now 
coming out saying like, and you can't talk about it in school, or you can only talk about this part or only the girls learn about the girl parts. We can't have. And I'm like, do you know, there's this like huge orgasm gap. Like I talk about that in the book and a big reason for that of why in heterosexual couples, women are not receiving pleasure and having orgasms at the same rate as men is because there is this huge gap in knowledge. And that's not fair to these relationships. This is not fair. It's certainly not fair to the person who's not experiencing pleasure, but it's also not fair to the partner because I there's a lot that goes around the internet about men are the worst and you know all men are trash. And, and like you, you may very well have had experiences that absolutely reinforce this idea. But as someone who's raising two boys and cohabitating with a man um, and has many men in their life, they men want this information and we have to teach this information. But you're absolutely right. Like, we're not getting it. I'd love to hear from you guys. Like, what do you remember from sex ed? What was your sex ed experience? Uh, you immediately like, freeze. This is a normal. This is that's I, normal. I, I, no, I have. I haven't. Do you remember anything? I do. But go ahead. Go first. You go first. I just remember like. I, I actually remember the classroom it was in and I just remember everyone kind of being like on edge and like giggly and like no one really wanted to talk about it. And it was like one of our gym teachers who I'm not sure how he even got into the role of of doing it and just like sort of like talking about like either safe sex and like basically like pregnancy prevention mm-hmm. and like nothing beyond that. I don't remember when I learned about sex. Like, I actually don't have a, a memory of that. I have a memory when I learned about my period. Mm-hmm. And I was in fourth grade and we were lined up in the hallway. And it was only girls that were invited, not invited, that were in the class to learn about periods. Like, yeah. boys weren't in there, which I think is, like, kind of ridiculous because boys should be learning about this, too. Like, just, no- mm-hmm. like, normalize it. And I remember some of the boys coming over to us being like, oh, why would you guys go to that classroom? And us being like, oh, we learned about, like, periods and commas and explanation points and, like, making a joke about it. And that's a very clever joke. I like it. Thank you. Um, But I don't remember ever someone being like, this is the vagina. This is how it works. Like, this is where the penis goes in. Like, I don't remember ever learning that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The only, the only time that I learned about that was like in biology class, but more so like for the way that like a period cycle works, not anything else. You can learn that. Yeah, I did take AP bio, which was a mistake on my part, but I guess I learned something. <laughs> sure. But um, but yeah, no, it was very like it was very like textbook and not like real life. That's for mm-hmm. that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, something you were saying, like the pregnancy prevention, like the, the U.S. tends to take the stance of like fear based, like fear based education of yeah. like be afraid of being like getting pregnant but be afraid of STIs and put a condom on the banana. I'm like, why can't we just bring in an actual penis? Like why? like not a, not a real life human penis. I'm not saying that people are saying like a model of a penis, like the fact you can't even have a model of a penis and show how to put a condom on that. Like who, who the first time having sex, like looks at their penis and is like banana penis had it like this, like, and then there's minds who take things very literal and are like, I don't even understand why, but what bananas have to do with this, because it's not being explained as you were saying that in that real world capacity. But what's so interesting is when you look at the research, so Germany mandated medically accurate sex education. We have now had a 
in his higher cohort that who are now adults, young adults go through this. We see the Netherlands, which is just a very sex positive uh, society. And we see that, for instance, they start talking about consent as, as toddlers, which makes people whenever I talk about that, people are like, oh, my God, like they're teaching toddlers about sex. No, silly nilly. Like they're talking about do do you want to hug? And if that toddler says no, you respect that. Like we do this, I, we follow more of like the Netherlands approach in my house of like not making things taboo, not making things shameful, but also I have two boys. Like it's on me to teach them about consent. They're never going to get that in the U S like there's very few States. I think it's 11 who talk about consent. The CDC is reporting that young girls have a very high rate of depression. Like they, we have the saddest girls we've ever had on our hands. And part of that is being victimized by sexual assault. And the CDC's conclusion was we need to teach girls how to negotiate sex better. I'm like, <laughs> but friend, who is the perpetrator of this? It is usually men. And is it always intentional? No. Sometimes they have no idea because they didn't get taught about consent. So I have like a whole section talking about consent in the book for this reason. But back to my point, when you look at these countries and how they've been doing things differently, they have lower incidence of teen pregnancies. They have lower STIs among their community, among their population. And that we actually see that these, I mean, they feel like children to me because I'm a mom. And like, if you're not like, you know, 25, you still feel kind of like, like you're not quite fully an adult yet. Or was that yeah. just me, my experience in life? But with that, we see these you know, children slash young adults, they actually delay having sex. They're having sex later and they're um, more apt to be in a monogamous relationship. They're more likely to communicate with their parents about it. And they're more likely to report their first experience as pleasurable, as fun. In the United States, most people are reporting their first experience as they felt pressure. They didn't enjoy it. They feel shame. They're guilty. They wish they would have waited. We have higher rates of teen pregnancies, higher rates of STIs, and we do have higher rates of sexual assault happening. And we have a broken com home communication system. So we don't have children talking to their parents as freely and regularly. And so when we stand back and look at that, it is not hard to say our system is not working. The fear based is not working. The gatekeeping of information is not working. So thinking if you don't talk about sex or if you don't tell them what the clitoris is and what this is about, then they're not going to feel uncomfortable by this. So we homeschool. And I actually am like putting together a class and teaching sex ed. And I'm, well, I'm teaching actually the menstrual cycle and hormones is really what I want to focus on in a very positive, like period positive way. And when I said, like, I'm going to be going over anatomy, there were moms who were not interested in having their daughters attend. And this was a mother daughter thing that I wanted to do because I really believe in bridging that information and making the mom the expert in her body and in her home so she can further the dialogue when I said, like, oh, I'm going to explain all anatomy and people were like, are you going to explain the clitoris? Yeah, yeah, it's there. It's I'm just going to point it out and be like, it sits above the urethra. Like, here it is, because it's on the diagrams. People did not want that. I have I still have a lot of people interested, but there were people who are like, no, we're not. I am not teaching my girl who's already having her period about the clitoris. And I'm like, 
Why? 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 Exactly. Why? Because there's this fear that if she knows about the clitoris and the pleasure, then she's going to seek out sex and like, you know, that's, that's a possibility, but I would really hope that you didn't have to withhold information to control her actions and instead could have a dialogue with her and to be able to, for, and like, listen, if you are in my community and you're listening to this and you're one of these people, I am not judging you. And I'm not going to tell you how to parent because like, Hey, I only have a 10 year old. So like, I'm here figuring it out with you as well. Yeah. But what I really would like to see is more just open, honest communication and normalizing these conversations for everyone. You shouldn't be fine. Like, cause where are they going to go? If you're not giving them this information, I've been there. I had to do research on the internet of where are people getting these questions and these ideas. And I will tell you, you end up on websites you did not consent to being on. And you see things that you're like, well, I mean, as an adult in my forties, I'm like, well, that's interesting. But God, I did not want to have to see that when I was like 12. Like, no. What, when do you suggest like having these types of conversations? Like you have two boys, we have three boys. Our four year old like is obsessed with showing us his penis. Yeah, they and, are. <laughs> oh my gosh! And it's like I'm not like put that thing away. But I'm like Ezra, like we don't really need to be like having that out of your pants when we're watching television. Like you don't need to be like stroking it when we're sitting here and when mommy's next to you. Like, but like what can I be? Like I don't want to give him a complex, but yeah, what can we be doing as parents? And like what could care- caretakers be doing? to from a young age to help them embrace their bodies, but also like appropriately. I don't mean that it's kind of a loaded way to describe, but like appropriately. No, I totally know what you're saying because I deal with two boys as well. (laughs) And then that one's doing it at school. Yeah. Yeah. um, So as adults, we see that as masturbation, sexual satisfaction, right? Like that's how we, our adult minds think about it. With children, this is actually a self soothing technique. So it's about like, so maybe you're watching something, their nervous system's getting overstimulated. This is a way they self-soothe. It is one of the ways they self-soothe. And so sometimes it's a like, replace it with a fidget toy, like replace it with, with something else, like give them something with texture, you know, if, if it like, but recognize that like, that is part of it is like, it's a self-soothing mechanism. You Babies do this as well. And it's not, it's only because like we understand sex in the way that we do, that we can take it from that, that we frame it in that way and that have that mindset. So, you know, with my boys, I certainly have had, well, the two-year-old is, he'll be two in a couple of months and he is just now figuring out his penis. He's very excited about it. Like realizing, <laughs> like, you know, when they start making the connection yeah. of like, yeah. mom doesn't have this. I must mm-hmm. be awesome. Like, cause what's you're in dad? the dad. Mommy, yeah. what's that? What's that? <laughs> yeah. And so he definitely like was very like proud and wanting to show me his penis. And I'm like, that is your penis. And like, just giving him words around it. With the, you know, the, like, we certainly have gone through this where like, they, they don't know boundaries, right? They're just like, it's just a penis and it feels good. And my nervous system feels soothed when, when I touch this. So with that, you know, having conversations about like, Hey, like, I know this is like, it's super fun. Right. And like, it's best, you know, if this is the kind of thing that like we, you know, and set your boundaries in your home, there are people who are like, you shouldn't have like boundaries because that's going to shame them and this and that. But we do live in a society that has expectations. And so, you know, having those kind of limits and boundaries of what feels good, like for you and your family of like, hey, if you want to explore more, your bedroom is your private place where you are welcome to explore more. 
And, you know, not having it be something like, oh, no, we never do that like in public. Because honestly, the more you focus on what not to do with children, the more they yeah. do that because oh, that's yeah. all their mind oh, can think about. Anything, anything. But in terms of like having these conversations, you know, everyone can grasp the idea of baby led weaning. Like, can we just grasp the idea of like child led sex education in your home? So when it comes to these conversations, I say you only give them what they ask for. So we've got all this knowledge and then we've got all these fears and then we've got all of our like baggage from our life and shame and everything that like, you know, was was said to us. And it's hard to kind of sort through that and separate it. So, for example, with a period, I've never hidden my period from my son, never hit tampons are out in glass containers, like in my downstairs bathroom. Like we have a whole array of period products because like heaven forbid you come to, uh, you, you end up getting your period at someone's house and you don't have access. Like, I just want it there. You don't even have to ask me friend. Like it's there for you. These things have just been very normal. And some he was probably like three the first time that he saw blood and he was very, maybe even younger, but he was very concerned about like me bleeding. And I'm like, no, I do this once a month. I'm okay. And I just let him ask his questions. And they were very like, you know, they're very basic questions. And that's all I answered about it. Coming to the sex piece, he was like, how are babies made? And we brought it to there's a daddy seed and there's a mommy seed. So this is our way of explaining to someone who he wasn't even five yet. Like the very basics of like, how do these things work? They come together and that makes the baby. It was not until probably about like six months ago. So here he is like nine and a half, maybe 10 that he then took that conversation to like, wait a minute, how did they get together? How do those actually get together? And I'm like, I'm going to explain it to you at any time. If you want me to stop or you want me, we want clarification or anything like this, you call the shots here. This conversation is going to be consensual. And when I explained it to him, he starts crying. And I'm like, okay, like what happened here? And he's like, that's got to hurt dad so bad. Like you oh must be hurting him. And I was like, I assure you, I am not hurting him, but you should hear this from your father because I am not going to be the authority on someone else's experience, but talk to your dad about it. Yeah. And his dad's like, okay, no, it it doesn't hurt. It feels good. And he's like, okay, cool. Like that was it. We weren't going to go into anything else. I wasn't going to talk about an orgasm. wasn't going to talk about yeah. any of that. Like he just wanted to know, how does this actually happen? And he already, like this kid, I think he was three when he built a connects um, and uh, at a, the uterus, fallopian tubes and ovaries and like was like, look, mom, the ovaries like couldn't even say the words. Oh God, but like so he loves my netters anatomy uh, textbook and has like spent a lot of time looking at it and just being very interested and fascinated by the human body. And that is some of the anatomy that's in there. So this is all to say, like only take the conversation as far as they need it. It's usually going to come up like they're in the back of the car and they're like, oh, I have this question. If their friend asks, like, you know, or bringing them information, you're going to need to fill in that gap and understand like how that made them feel. Because sometimes it makes them feel ashamed, scared. And you, and you also need to address that process as well. But I think the more you can make it open You explain it like you would explain, like, you know, why do the lemons get moldy, mom? Why is it that like, you know, we go to the bathroom in the in the toilet like these like 
very like normal, just like every kind of day questions. If you're explaining it, like it's a non-issue in that way, it really, you remove the stigma and the shame so that they're more apt to come with you, you know, to you for the bigger questions. Is that helpful? I just said like a whole lot of stuff. Oh, it is helpful. My only other question, like with regarding this topic is when do you introduce them to what the orgasm is? Like, no one ever sat down and explained that to me. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like it's almost very normalized that like a male ejaculates and yeah. that's their orgasm. And like, doesn't matter about a girl, like it doesn't. And like some women ejaculate and some women don't. So like, mm-hmm. when do you, when do you ha- like, should my, I don't have a daughter. So yeah, I'm not going to need to like have that with a, with a, another girl, maybe a niece one day, but when do we even like explain when do parents explain to their kids the concept of an orgasm? And like, I want my sons to know, like, you're not the only one too, but like, is that inappropriate mm-hmm. for a mother to be doing? Like, when do you have that conversation? I don't ever, I don't think it's important for, or inappropriate for anybody, you know, any parent to have these conversations. Uh, often you will hear and be like, that's the mom's job only. And it's like, but no, you know, these, they're going to like, interact with other genders, right. In their, in their life, like that's going to happen. These conversations are going to come up. So with that, you know, again, like this is about your family dynamic and you needing to feel like what's best for you and trust that, like trust yourself as a parent, because you absolutely know your child best. And it's very easy for us to be like, oh, well, if your child is engaging in masturbation and they've gone, they've gone through puberty, right? So we have those changes. Like we're we're starting to see breasts. By the way, when we see breasts developing, it's about two years until a period's coming. So if you start seeing breast development, know that you're going to need. You, if you haven't had that conversation, it's time to start having that conversation mm-hmm. and talking about how these changes are going to affect their body. Um, not waiting until it's like, oh all your friends have their period or you got your period. Now let's talk about that because it is a weird, scary like time. Like your body is doing all these things and you're asking like, is this normal? So um, when you see these uh, changes and like there's pubic hair, like masturbation is likely going to follow. It is very normal. The research we have on it, they are people self-reporting and people are very, very shamed and stigmatized. But like we know that this is a normal part of development that humans do, no matter what anyone wants to say in terms of shame and blame and stigma and dogma. It doesn't matter. Like it's science is clear. Everybody is going to like at least stimulate the tissue enough to be like, oh, that feels good. That's interesting whether or not they get to orgasm. But that is a good time to start talking about those things. If you're you have a son and they're going to become sexually active or like, you know, they're in their teens and they are in a serious relationship, like I very much want to, you know, believe like, oh, I've got time as a parent, you know, in in terms of these, uh, things like my son's 10, I'm honestly like, I, and I know where he's at and I know my child, I am not worried about that right now. Um, just to be clear, but you know, it's something that like, if they're going to be in, in a relationship with a female partner, talking about female orgasm, talking about pleasure, talking about these kinds of things are important parts of the conversation. And when you explain, I think really like the best take is explaining that you can really enjoy yourself fully in pleasure and be present 
when you are taking precautions and safer sex, because no sex is safe. Okay. That we love to like think that, but no sex is hundred percent safe, but safer sex practices allow for better pleasure is like the conversation that we really need to shape. But you know, in terms of like, oh, what do you, is there a certain age you have to teach about orgasm? It's going to de- depend on your child, yeah. your relationship with them. Like, you don't want to come straight out the gate and be like, we've never talked about anything. We're going to talk about an orgasm. Um, but the other thing is that being really mindful of the media they're being exposed to. So um, there was like some Marvel movie and I wasn't ready for the fact, like, it was like, I can't even remember is like the hodgepodge of like a bunch of people coming together and somebody will know it in the comments, but like Angelina Jolie was in it. And, but there was a sex scene on the beach that went far enough that I was like, Oh, okay. Like we're going to, we have to talk about this. We have to talk about like what oh, your son then. was with you and you were watching it. Yes. And I think it was oh. like P- PG 13, um, which in my house, we, we do PG 13. I yeah. did not expect that. And I also checked myself because I was like, oh, wow, I was okay with the fact that somebody got cut in half and we were watching that. But then (laughs) that came up and I'm like, oh, we're going to have to talk about that. And my husband, and I actually had a conversation of like, we have had these conversations about violence. We've had these conversations before. Um, And it's really funny though, about how like we're just as a society, okay with the violence, but the sex is the thing that makes us be like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. So I just share that because you've got to pay attention to the media. It do not let your children on YouTube unless you've got it locked down. Do not let them on TikTok if they are not like, you know, a, a mid t- I don't know. I don't know. So who knows if t- really TikTok might not me. even be around. So like, who knows? Yeah. There's that. But I mean, Instagram as well. Like, I can't talk about a vagina on Instagram or say vulva or just as a doctor talk about these things. But then I can scroll somebody's th- like feed or Instagram has no problem showing me a girl who has literally just a thin piece of material covering over a nipple, but like everything else is showing. And I'm like, I, this is, this is literally soft porn in my feed, but like, we will not talk about medically accurate information about the female body. If I wanted to use euphemisms, oh yeah, we're all about that on social media. Use anatomically correct terms. No, shut it down. Shut it down. We were just talking about bathing suits. Um, Oh yeah. On Instagram the other day. And photoshopping and- labias. Like, what is that? <laughs> that I don't know about. But when I'm like watching people at like bachelorette parties or like if they live in Miami or they're on spring break or whatever, and they're legitimately walking around ass naked with their like string on covering their vagina. And I'm like, Yeah, how is this appropriate to be consumed? Like I it just, you know, it's a little a little uncomfortable. Yeah, it's like if they want to wear that, that's fine. But like the fact that then it gets like served up to you. And other uh, things are censored, like hypocritical. Yeah. Like breastfeeding was censored like forever. I think it wasn't until like, I mean, it was very recently, a few years ago where they stopped censoring breastfeeding. So images of a baby at the breast, exactly what they're intended to do. But you could have a girl in a white t-shirt, mm-hmm. no bra, completely wet. And Instagram's like, that's cool. I know because yes, as long as you're objectifying her, that's cool. But if this is what they're intended for, oh yuck, we don't like this. Like, why? Why are we like? What that does to our minds is is terrible. And um, it's also some. So in the book, there's an entire chapter about breasts and going through all of these things. And it was very that chapter was really interesting to write because the questions that I get are like 
are my breasts too big? Are my breasts too small? Are my areola too big? And I think about like, well, the thing we were shown, at least at our age, was augmented breasts. Like we were shown, like I was... I was coming of age when Pam Anderson was like what we were supposed to look like. And like, that's her body. You do you. Mad respect for you, you know, embracing what you feel is best for you. It influenced me for sure. And I think about like these questions that I get, like so like when it comes to breasts, like what we are shown, I mean, even Victoria's Secret, we're shown augmented bodies and then that's what we believe is normal. And so when you're looking and you're like, why are my breasts asymmetrical or why do they, they point like East and West? Like, why is this normal? And these things are normal. So again, like uh, being mindful, not just the media you consume, but the media that your children consume, because I don't think that anyone was thinking about how Baywatch was going to impact me when I was growing up. I mean, I was, we didn't have TV. So I was like at a friend's house watching Baywatch, but still- and you talk about this, like we do see this like very ubiquitous. So where I live, people vacation here. And like we were out going to like this park where people ride like ATVs. And there were girls like horseback riding in string bikinis with like a sheer thing over them, like because they were on vacation and literally dismounting a horse. And I was like, I just saw your full vulva. Like I wasn't intending to do that. Like, but like, whoa, you're riding a horse, friend. Like chasing i'm like very <laughs> yeah. like physically uncomfortable thinking about that situation yeah but it's i mean that is meanwhile like my son is just like whatever whatever like he's not he's not in that phase of his life so like we talked about you know like the future generation and how to kind of you know approach this subject so they might not have that same fear or shame that a lot of people probably our age do. But if you are like older and you have grown up in that situation, you know, what are some like things you can do to kind of make yourself feel more comfortable with talking about, you know, the clitoris or other things that you are now saying are normal? Oh gosh. This is, I think one of the greatest challenges we have to overcome is living in a normal body having a normal experience and loving ourselves unapologetically while all of the messaging around us is telling us that we are flawed, we are broken, and we should be ashamed and trying to fix ourselves. And so I think really recognizing that like, I mean, I talk about in the book, like the coming of age, like TV shows, like Vampire Diaries and like, I mean, how do vampires get wet? Like, how does that even work? Like there's just, I have so many questions, but like um, in all of that, we don't, we don't see these conversations happening, right? So they've not been demonstrated to us. And that is like, we are very social creatures and learn in this way. So one is, you know, I feel like, like, I don't want to be like, get a copy of the book. Like it is going to help a lot for you to understand your body and your normal. I go through like the first section is your sexual self. And we go through all of that. Then we have your cyclical self. So you can also understand your normal when it comes to your hormones. And it's not just your period and it's not just your menstrual cycle, but your hormones overall and how those are impacting you. And so starting at a place where you understand what your normal is so you can communicate from that place and identify where you fit in in all of this. And then when it comes to having these conversations, like it's so interesting to me, and it is very a very much a universal thing. 
you are going to have sex and allow somebody to see you naked, to be in your body, to do things with you that are very, like put you in a very vulnerable state, but you don't want to talk about it. Like this is such, like when you stand back and you think about it, you're like, why, why this does not make sense. And yet it totally makes sense because you didn't get a playbook for this and you didn't really, you know, ever get guidance in that. And so, you know, in having conversations, you know, with your partner around sex. So coming from a place first of like, what do you enjoy? What do you understand about your body doing exercises? Like a very common one in like sex therapy and counseling is like, what's the best sex that you've had in your life? What was it? What made it good? Um, spoiler, a lot of people do not report like the best sex of their life was because of the orgasm. What they actually report are the most important things is feeling empathy, feeling intimacy, feeling connection, being present with their partner, having that bonding experience. So when you communicate about these things, you actually amplify all of that. And that makes for an even more pleasurable experience. But when you're coming into that conversation, coming from a place of like, when you do this, I really love it. Rather than like, you know, sometimes I think, and it depends on your communication style, but you might, some people are like, I don't like this. Let's not do this. Let's do this instead. This is just like children, right? We are now focused on the don't. We can't do anything but focus on the don't. So instead coming to that place of like, let's talk about what it is that is pleasurable for me. And then I want to hear what's pleasurable for you. Does that make sense? Does that help answer the question? So in the book, you also talk about something you referenced this before called the orgasm gap. Yes. What is this? Yes. So when we look at relationships, uh, the studies on heterosexual relationships, so this is cis hetero men, cis hetero women having sex together, 95% of the time in that experience, men are going to orgasm and about 65% of the time women are going to orgasm. So there's this huge pleasure gap happening. When you take that same uh, set of questions and you apply it to a lesbian couple, it's like it's over 85%. They're having their orgasming. So the gap is only existing. Yeah, it's not surprising because if you're a vulva owner, you understand where the clitoris is and you you have already had like your training wheels period, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with your own body to like then be bringing pleasure to another body. And if you aren't a vulva owner, you have a lot of learning to do and that learning has to happen on a vulva. So it's, it takes a lot of communication, right? Like what we were talking about before. So the orgasm gap, one of the biggest reasons why people believe this exists is is because there's not information about the clitoris and because people like Freud, who's like literally the freaking worst thing to happen to women's medicine and sex altogether, perpetuated this myth, this idea that the ultimate culmination of sex, like when people think about sex, they're like a penis goes in the vagina. That's one type of sex, but that's not the type of sex that is making women orgasm. And Freud was like, the clitoral orgasm is infantile. Women should be aspiring for vaginal orgasms. And it's like, well, I mean, that serves you, doesn't it? Like, there's a very self-serving statement that you just made. So we've got this idea that like foreplay has to result in like vaginal penetration, whereas foreplay can be very satisfying. 
if she orgasms during foreplay and you because you are intending to have vaginal penetration, she's more likely to orgasm with vaginal penetration. If you stimulate the clitoris during vaginal penetration, she's more likely to orgasm, but also to understand that I have a whole chapter called sex of all kinds that foreplay is sex. And sometimes people feel like there's something wrong with them because the only time they're orgasming is during this thing that's called foreplay with the anticipation and expectation that there has to be more. There doesn't have to be. In fact, people can be completely satisfied with that. And that's wonderful. All that matters is, are you both happy and enjoying yourself? Was it good for you both? Like, yay. Great. So we've got that aspect of the orgasm gap. I would be remiss if I didn't also mention that statistically speaking, a lot of women have faked it. A lot of women have faked it. And this, if you get the audiobook, you're going to hear me play out the Harry Met Sally. As I talked about that in my book, <laughs> I didn't realize I was going to have to read it. And I just read like, yes, yes, yes. And my producer was like, uh-uh, no. <laughs> and I was like, well, I can't, I don't want to sound, I don't know how to be that kind of actress and I don't want to. And I want to like, so you'll have to just listen to it. But I talk about the, why are women faking it? And this is where I've gotten comments from men on the internet who are like, it's because they're deceitful and because like, they they just like think women are like evil. And I'm like, it is deceit, but it's altruistic deceit. So the majority of the time that she's faking it is because she wants you to feel good about yourself because she knows society has put a lot of pressure on you of having to be like, the stallion and like, you know, last forever, like all these things that men are also having a lot of pressure around that are ridiculous, that women will fake it so that their partner feels good, so that their partner is happy. And then there's women who fake it because faking it actually gets them there. And that will actually like help with their arousal. And then there's women who are faking it because it's painful, but they want their partner to be able to still have pleasure, but they need this to be over kind of situation because it's painful and pain is a turnoff for everybody. So the research, as we understand it, again, it's always self-reporting is that women do it when they're in these heterosexual relationships because they care so deeply about their partner. It's very interesting. What about... When you're, and I, you, you are a mom of two, our listeners, like majority have kids and, you know, are pregnant, et cetera. What are your tips for couples coming back from that, like haze of newborns, pregnancy, you know, you just carried a baby for nine months. Now you're breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. Last thing you, you want, slept in you haven't slept consistently yeah. like, in more than two to three hours. Like you don't want someone touching your boobs. Likely if you're nursing, like, what are your tips to feel good about your sex life when you're having like young to- like infants and toddlers and and so on. Yes, I talk about so much of this and it's not always like directly just about postpartum. Like if I'm talking about not sleeping, you know I'm talking about you postpartum. Like you're definitely part of that. Like and um I think this is another area where we need to normalize conversations and where couples really struggle because your sex life can absolutely suffer after having a baby. And one reason can be because you have pain with sex that should not be accepted as normal. If you are having pain with sex or things are still painful in any way. And, you know, really like, you know, we all are like, oh, you get to the six week bark and blah, blah, blah. And like maybe at six weeks, things are fine, but maybe it's going to take you like four months because you had a significant tear. 
that's important to be in communication with your doctor about perhaps doing physical a pelvic floor, physical therapy, mm-hmm. and then also being in communication with your partner. And this is where the chapter of sex of all kinds, I'm like, this is for my pregnant mamas. These are for the like pelvic breast mamas for the, I just had surgery or, you know, I had a baby and things are uncomfortable. Like there's other things that you can do. Orgasms are certainly good for healing the pelvic floor. They are helpful for hormones. Um, they're helpful for immune system regulation but you don't have to have penetration to get there. And there's lots of things that you can be doing to your point about like, so what you're talking about is being touched out that phenomenon of like, somebody is on me all the time and they're latched to your breast. So now your breast might not feel sexual to you. Maybe you don't want them touched because they don't feel sexual or they're sore or they get engorged or they're going to squirt milk on somebody. Um, By the way, if you're with a partner, they get upset that they got milk like on them. You're with the wrong partner. Like this is like this. Jordan sucked my boob once to get a clogged duck out of my boob. Okay. I am. Oh, my God. I told I'm going to tell my that. husband this. Just he a, did this I'm too. A team, I'm a team player. I told my friend that and she was like, oh, he, my husband never do that. I was like, well, he should probably rise to the occasion. I mean, it's, like, it's, it's not, not a sexual first, thing. It's not the first time and hopefully it won't be the last time that I, uh, you know, get to, get not. I mean, not, I do hope it's the last time you have to suck not, the milk out of my boob, but like, that's fine. I'm saying like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I know what you mean. No, but I'm going to like, I have not, I don't think I've ever talked about this. Um, And my husband, he might be upset, but I know him well enough that it's going to be okay. He had to do this. And this was like, you know, very early, like in, you know, parenthood for us, but I had gotten in a car accident. A car had like hit the side of me and um, the seatbelt had like hit on my boob. And so because of that, I got a clogged duct and I did not want mastitis. Um, And it hurt so, so bad. And if you know, you know, clogged ducts are awful. And um, I was pumping, I was like positioning baby's jaw, like lower jaw. uh, And I just couldn't get it to release. And I was just finally like, I need you to do this now at this time. I was so offended because he spit it out. He got it unclogged and then he spit it out because it was like, that's weird. And that's gross. And I, and it's so funny because fast forward to our second and uh, yeah, he like has tasted my breast milk is like not a thing now. So we've come the long way, but yeah. So there's that component. You know, the other thing too, is that when you are touched so much, your nervous system is like, I have to like downplay like this. And I don't want to be physically touched again. I don't want to be stimulated in that way. And so that's just something worth having a conversation with your partner about because what you sometimes need is a break from baby or just like getting some alone time where your nervous system can decompress. Maybe you need to get under a weighted blanket and just feel like, okay, like I have pressure all over me and I am like comforted around in this so that your nervous system can make the shift so that it is receptive to these advances. And then like we were saying about breasts, like sometimes, um, sometimes it's years after you stop breastfeeding, your breasts still are like sensitive and you're not interested in it. You don't want them touched. That's okay. There's lots of areas of the body. And rather than telling your partner, like, no, say, I would really love it if you focused here. Like I would really love like your attention here or just gently moving their hand to somewhere else. But you know, when you are sleep deprived, taking care of small humans is stressful. We have to recognize that that stress is going to mount a cortisol response and that is going to shift you away from anything that would result in 
potential reproductive capacity, right? Like a reproductive event, which is ultimately sex. And so, you know, the focus instead of being on like that pressure of like sex and orgasm and all of that, being intimate, connecting and really connecting back to yourselves because you are different people now. When you have a baby, things change, dynamics change. And that can sound scary where people are like, oh, I'm a completely different person. You're not a completely different person, but you have babies come with personalities, man. They come with like their little archetype of what they bring in the family and the whole family dynamic shifts. And we need to stop pretending that like everything will just be normal and awesome. I feel like that's how they trick us into keeping having babies. Like you can't tell that. (laughs) No, it's never the same. It's literally never the same. By the time most couples get into bed after having one or more children, the last thing you want to do is be like caressed by anyone mm-hmm. at least not me not at this moment in time or this phase in, in in our lives um but how do you deal with you know you know your partner wants to your partner's probably afraid to even like initiate touching you because like he knows or she knows that you have been exhausted all day like what do you i guess recommend in terms yeah. of like normalizing that conversation between a couple so that like one's not walking on eggshells about the topic sex starts outside the bedroom. And it starts when you wake up. Like this is what I think men really need to understand about women. It can be true for men as well. But when we look at the research, women are much more receptive and responsive to what's happening in the environment. And so if you want to get to the end of the day, where you do have sex and you are being intimate and whatever that looks like for you, it is helping your nervous system along throughout the day. So making sure that they can help be in an active role that is reducing your stress. The littlest, simplest things that remove these blockades, these stressors can have such a profound impact because again, it comes back to the nervous system. The nervous system has to be able to interpret sexual stimuli. And when we're talking about moms and we're talking about like, especially like new moms, So I I use this analogy of like, if the nervous system is like a train track and the train is the sex signal, we've got blockades that are coming in because like I'm being touched nonstop by this small human. That's a block to have to overcome. Then there's the fact of like, you know, maybe you're, you're having like body image issues. Like you're struggling with this new postpartum body, right? Because there's always like some influencer on social media. That's like, I had four kids. Look at me. I'm perfect. Like you should be able to do this too. Or like that kind of rhetoric playing out. No respect for the fact of bioindividuality. And also like being like a size zero or whatever is like not the, the highest achieving goal. Like good on you if you are fantastic. But like, there's, there's other things that you might be prioritizing. So maybe you're dealing with that. And so these are things that are like, they're your own to like have to deal with. But then there's the partner dynamic. Like maybe you ask them like, hey, can you get a load of laundry in? Because we all know with babies, we are doing laundry nonstop. Like, can you just get a load of laundry in so that we can make sure we have burp cloths or whatever? And they space it. And they don't do it. And then they also act like it wasn't a big deal that you even asked for that and they didn't follow through on that. That's going to lay down a blockade. Maybe you like, you've got this like window, this break to break down and you want to cry and you want to have a conversation. And they're like, you know, 
not right now. I'm watching the game or not right now. Like I'm, or they're scrolling social media and they're like half giving you attention. That's going to lay down another block. And so what I'm talking about here is that, you know, there's, there's all of these things that like we do have to tend to, but there's these relationship dynamics that play a role as well. And it's when we are mindful of these things throughout the day and tending to them when we get time that we can be a lot more receptive to our partner's advances and that sexual stimuli. And sexual stimuli isn't just your partner touching you. It's the way they talk to you. It's the way they make you feel if they make you feel supported. And it is also things that you are viewing what you're viewing, like you're in the grocery store, you see a magazine, you are, uh, you know, hearing music that stirs it up for you. Certain scents will do it for people. And so all of these things are positive stimuli that make the sex train go. But we've got those blockades that we also have to acknowledge. And we can't always totally clear the blockades. And sometimes we just have to do it anyways. Like we're just like, but I know it's going to be good. I don't want it right now. But like, I do want that end outcome. And we have to start engaging in the way that way so that the brain can overcome that and interpret these signals and that the tissues can be like, yes, we're doing this. And then there's the like, you don't want to, you're not interested. You're having pain. Your partner is like, you know, walking on eggshells. You have to just talk about it and say, like, be honest of like, I love being intimate with you. I love, I love sex with you. I love these experiences. And in this season of my life right now, I am really struggling for these reasons. And it's not a blame game and it's not pointing the finger, but saying like, I'm struggling because I'm so exhausted. Like I have to choose like an orgasm or I have to choose sleep and orgasms are great. But friends, I choose sleep. Oh, like when I'm a new mom, I'm like, no, 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 no. Like after a baby, I'm like, no, sorry. Sometimes it means like getting, you're going to have to work together to orchestrate an earlier bedtime for your kids and like getting them into bed so that you can carve out space. Sometimes you're going to need to get like, you know, I think like in the first four months, like it's, it's very hard. I mean, I, my son's almost two. I still feel like, like, kid, could you just sleep through the night consistently? Like (laughs) I would love this, but, um, even getting somebody who's a babysitter to come in, you can have sex during the day, like phenomenal, right? Like you could have someone come in and take your kids and you can have sex during the day. You can have someone who takes your kids so you can go out for a date night and you can have sex before you leave for the date night. So you're not exhausted like when you go out Um, and maybe you're just like, we're going to have sex and we're going to snack and then we're just going to go get dessert. Like, that's fine. Like the thing that we have to do is start redefining what does intimacy look like for us and just making it our own choosing our own normal and what that needs to look like and not worrying about like what Na- like your neighbor Nancy was doing during this time or what like, you know, Phil was explaining to you or like all of that. That's great for them. And maybe you pick up some tips where you're like, oh, that's so clever. Like we could do something like that, but not to compare yourself. I think comparison will absolutely rob you of a good time every time. Yeah. It's, there's like that trending TikTok where like the husband will be like doing the dishes or like mopping, like during the day, like trying to like take that stuff off of like, I guess his wife's plate, like to initiate sex later down the line. It's pretty it's interesting now. I mean, like I can see why that works because sometimes when you lay down in bed, you feel like there's like all these things that have like taken during the day and now it's like your time to decompress. Mm-hmm. And, if, and if all that stuff's up there, that's, that's a interesting way to think about it. 
And if you're worried about that stuff, right? You can't focus, you can't be present. You can't stay aroused and have an orgasm if you can't be present. And it's normal thing to not be able to be present. Like I right now have a, um, a bunch of pre, I have to give a presentation this weekend and I've just talked for three hours and my PowerPoint deck is not where I want it to be. And like, I woke up in the middle of the night thinking about that. And I was like, huh, like, this is so lame. Like <laughs> these things, but it's also normal. It's normal for these things to creep in. And then for you to need to have tools and things like that to help you decompress and help you release stressors of the day. And you, you mentioned something that that's you, I think you said it was more focused on the woman who needed that. Is that something that's like biological or actually studied? Yes. So um, what I was explaining, so we should back this whole thing up. There's something called the dual control model. And the dual control model was defined by Bancroft and Jansen in the research. They use a great analogy. So they came up with this gas pedal and brake analogy that I use in the book. And it's a pretty common analogy uh, for people to have heard. It was popularized first in the book, Come As You Are. And the idea is that you've got your sexual excitation, the, the gas pedal stimuli, and then you have your inhibit inhibitors. So that's the brakes. That's the brakes on the train track or the brakes in the car. And so this model was developed by two men. This is important to understand because men are always like, this doesn't account for men. And it's just very female centered. I'm like, it was developed by two men. And initially they were exploring and understanding men. And how does this work for men? So it can work the same. For women, we tend to be a lot more susceptible to body image um, messaging, right? There's the mom bod is not acceptable, but dad bod, dad bods are normal, right? Like, Yeah, these kinds of like things that we have in our society. And so that could be an additional break because we are so in tuned with the environment. Stress can definitely impact us. And for a lot of women, it's more common to have the experience of sex, not like sex putting you out of the mood. You can though have the experience where sex puts you, or excuse me, stress puts you in the mood. I'm not sure if I said that right before, but stress can be an inhibitor for some people. And for other people, they're like, I will engage in sex because the stress is going to dissipate when I have an orgasm, when I have pleasure and I can get out of my own head and like be very present. With men, it is very easy to, you know, conceptualize this when you think about erectile dysfunction, performance, anxiety-based things. So while women are worried so much about what their body looks like and also worried about how long is it going to take me to orgasm? Will I be able to orgasm? Like, am I going to be wet enough? Like all of these things. Men also have society's pressures of like, Am I going to last long enough? <laughs> Spoiler, like most women, when you look at the research, that's not what they want. They don't want somebody going like 10, 20, 30, 40 minutes, like maybe early in a relationship, but like things can get dried out and sore and like, it's not totally necessary, but men are told that like, you should be able to last forever kind of thing. So performance anxiety, that can be an inhibitor for men. Men do certainly have body image concerns. They just don't tend to be marketed and reinforced in the way that the rest of society um, does. Fear of unintended pregnancy or oh, you don't want to get pregnant. Both parties can have that fear uh, where like you're having a good time and then you're like, oh, my God, am I am I could I be ovulating? Like, am I going to ovulate? Like, could I possibly get pregnant? They're never going to be an orgasm. Same for a man. He could actually lose his erection because he's like, oh, my God. Like, could she possibly get pregnant? Like, should like she said she was she was fine or she was on the pill or like this or that. But like, oh, my God, like, could this be a potential thing? And then 
with all of this, there's so much shame that comes with it because we don't normalize these conversations. And then what comes is that the next time you go to have sex, you now have brought all of this with you as well, like these experiences that you've had. So that dual control model is really helpful in us understanding how anybody can be affected by really literally anything that is going on in their day-to-day life from either getting them out of the mood or getting them in the mood. We have about 75 more questions to ask you that we're not going to clearly ask you because I want to be cognizant that it's been over an hour and you're, I'm, I like literally could like, I want you to keep talking to me. You need to start a podcast. (laughs) My husband has like seriously tried to push me for like so many years, but I'm like, it just like, oh, I don't know. I just, I don't know why in my head, I just feel like it's so much work. And then yet I've like sat down and recorded. It is. You see, that's why, that's why I've been done a podcast. Um, It's just like, I'm like, I feel like then I would have a commitment and I need to stick with it. But my husband's like, he's, He's like, I just wish I could like sneak film you like when you're ranting to me about stuff and you're like, he's like, you're so much funnier when nobody has a camera on you. Um, And he's like, I just think you'd be so good on a podcast for that. Anyhow, I've had lots of people ask me for a podcast and I'm, I don't know what's wrong with me, but um well, you have a lot like, going on. You have two kids. You're launching another book. You have a business. Like it's there. I say writing the book probably just like yeah, but it is something to. I've never really told someone that. Like it's really something you should consider. You can take my advice and tell me to shut the fuck up. That's fine. But like you have so <laughs> much wisdom that I really think that it would just benefit so many humans to like. Yeah, also, like if people are uncomfortable talking about it, then they can just listen to you talk about it. Yeah, and I think that you're very inspiring knowledge to people because i mean even even me reading your book i learned so much stuff that i didn't know and i'm in my mid-30s with three kids like it's just it's just crazy yeah. well i appreciate thanks. that that's something that i've absolutely loved is people who have gotten a copy ahead of the time it's funny at the model health show before we recorded that podcast he was showing me the book where he was like writing o faces like oh my god and writing oh my god and it's like oh, all this it. stuff and i'm like okay like i am I am a like, oh my God, don't write books kind of person. Like, but also like, I'm so happy that you showed me that you writing in this book. So I love hearing that. I really am looking forward to the, oh my God, moments that people had. And the thing, because when you write a book, you're like, oh, this is going to be, this is going to be the thing that they love. Mm-hmm. And then when the book comes out and you start hearing like, what are the things that change people's lives? That I think is like the best part, like of, uh, and it's why you will spend two to three years on a project of writing a book and putting that out into the world. Uh, at least for me, that I'm just like, I just can't wait to see how people took this information, owned it and changed their lives. Well, thank Sorry, go ahead. The, the story in the book where the woman has a schedule for, she like gives her husband oral sex on one day and they have sex on the other day. And then they talk about it and the husband didn't even realize that there was a schedule. I was like, <laughs> it's was fucking like classic. Cracking up because I'm like, that's just such a, female male like interaction where that would be just totally clueless yeah Yeah, he had no idea and (laughs) yeah and the thing about that story is that he wasn't even into it some of the time but he was like you have to like she's into this so like i have to do this and they just weren't talking about it 
when you read that story and you're on the outside, it's so laughable, like where you're just like, of course, of course, of course. And yet we have all been in these situations where like, it's so relatable where you're like, I've, yeah, I totally was like, you're reading my mind, right? You're in my head. We're on the same like groove, whatever it is, right? Whatever it is. I'm like, you already knew I was thinking this for dinner, right? It was like, no, 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 no. Like we, we were missing the mark and it happens in all, all the ways. And I think that when it comes to sex, it just feels like, but this was the big thing. Like the big thing we were missing the mark on and really treat sex. Like you treat food and treat everything else. Like it's just like, it's amazing. Right. And it's also a pleasurable experience. And also sometimes it's awkward, messy and recipes don't turn out the way you want them to, unless they're yours. Of course. They, yeah, yours they flop. Sometimes they flop. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to come back on the podcast. Can you let the listeners know where they could find more from you and all where they can find your new book? Yes. So you can find me at drbrighton.com, D-R-B-R-I-G-H-T-E-N.com. This book, we could not fit the meal plan and recipes. In fact, my publishers were just like, we don't even want meal plan and recipes like at all. Cause this book is huge. It's like twice the size of like any health book out there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, no, my friend's books are coming out and they're all showing up. And I'm like, look at these cute little books. Like this thing <laughs> is like, this thing is a monster. Yeah, like I just a rock. Like, yeah, it's really good next to my bed. Yeah. I'm going to leave it there. The yeah, I know. Right. That hot pink, it really hits. But so I just decided that I had this 28 day program and I like, I'm a nutrition scientist. I can't not give a meal plan and recipes. So when you're in the book, look for the URL to drbrayton.com. I wrote a digital cookbook to go along with the book and was like, I'm just going to give it to you because I know it's going to ensure your success. And I know it's going to really help you. And it goes through week by week. So each phase of your cycle, it's taking you through all of that and what you need to be eating for like better periods, better moods, better sex, like the whole shebang. Um, Cause th- th- there really is a sex diet. There are ways that you can eat to, in, in, you know, not only make your hormones better, but also make your sex better. And so you can get, you can get all of that in the book. And then you can also find me on social media at Dr. Jolene Brighton, Dr. Jolene Brighton. And that's on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. I hope TikTok stays around because I yeah. just, it's my favorite place to scroll. <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe I'll get some time back, but like, I, I don't know about you guys. I've learned so much on TikTok for like, there's just been, I've learned so many things I know. about things I didn't even know I needed to know. The amount of experts on there just giving away amazing information. I'm just like, this is, yeah. But anyhow, I'm on there too, giving it away if you want to come pick it up. <laughs> amazing. Well, thank you, thank so, you so much. much. Everyone go buy Dr. Brighton's new book and follow her everywhere. 